Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a very big show for you today. March Madness is underway. A lot. This is one of my favorite parts of the year, sports-wise, and we're going to dive right into everything. Today, I'm going to be joined by Brian Ralph from Busting Brackets. We're going to break down the brackets, talk about that the selection committee did well, games to watch in the first round, upsets to pick, who's going to get in the final four, all that good stuff with Brian coming up in a bit. Show me the money. First time back after football season, we're going to do a bracketology special. I'm going to be joined by my friends Will, Will Smith, Nick D'Alessia. We're going to talk strategy on filling out your brackets, factors to consider, and we're going to do picks on the bracket, tell you our final fours, who's going to win the national championship, cut down the nets in Minneapolis. That's coming up as well. I also have some bonus content for you. I had a chance to go to Iona's Media Day. As, as most people are aware, this podcast is recorded at the studio of Iona College. Got to speak to some of their players. I will share that with you later in the show. Also, be sure you're locked into the end of this week's two-minute drill. I saw where I weigh in on the situation. concerning Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Tyreek Hill. He's being investigated for a domestic battery incident. He's a person of interest in a case involving his three-year-old son. My thoughts on that at the end of the show. But we get everything started this week's opening tip, where I'll be joined by Joe D'Aloisio. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, break down the big news in NF, in the NFL, the big trade of Odell Beckham from the Giants to Cleveland and the Jets getting Le'Veon Bell. All that coming up right after this. Play action. And Manning's going to heave one. There's, oh, there's a flag. Beckham has a one-handed catch. How in the world? <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Brandon Carr was back there. I mean, he is... Insane. How do you make that catch? Oh, my goodness. This is sick. Put this to music. I don't think he stepped out either. That may be the greatest catch I've ever seen. Number 39. Penalty's declined. Revolt of the play. Touchdown. You have to be kidding me. That is impossible. That is absolutely impossible what he just did. All right, we're back with this week's opening tip. That call you just heard, courtesy of NBC Sports, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, the legendary one-handed three-finger catch from Odell Beckham Jr., who is no longer a member of the New York Giants. He is now a member of the Cleveland Browns. Joining me today to talk about that and the fallout from last week's free agency with a, a little bit more is Joe Dowley's our NFL guy. Joe, how are you doing? Mike, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Last week, because I left out a cliffhanger last week because we didn't know where Le'Veon Bell was signing when I left this podcast. I really raced to get this thing out before the thing uh, before he signed. So I got it out at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, I get this bomb of a trade. The Giants trade Odell Beckham away. <laughs> you got to love how podcasting works. Of course, of course. <laughs> you get right, right when you think you're on top of something, you fall behind on something else. So it happens. Uh, just like you with that bombshell and actually – you broke the news to me. I had no idea. I was kind of off the grid, and then I got a phone call from you, and you said Odell traded, and I was like, what? <laughs> because on that last podcast, we were talking about it, and I really didn't think that that, would, that was really a legit option for the New York Giants, so I was just taken back just like you were. Yeah, I remember we talked about it. We were talking at the rumor, that point. The rumor was that they were talking about the 49ers about a trade, and they were saying, oh, maybe you get the two, but they didn't get the two, and then... Three hours later, boom, he's gone. Amazing. Yeah. So, well, obviously, when you heard the terms of this trade, when you saw what they got back, which was the one, which is number 17, the third-round pick, and uh, who was the other guy? They got Jabril Peppers. 
the safety to replace Landon Collins. What was your reaction to that? The Giants did not get nearly enough as they should have. Yeah. Um, it seemed after seeing what they agreed to that the Giants just got rid of him. Yeah. Um, I think I think a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. His caliber, what he's been able to do, and yes, you know, you could talk about how he doesn't perform in the playoffs and and all of the off the field antics and sometimes on the field antics. But at the end of the day, he is one of the best receivers in the NFL, and I think the Giants. We're just fed up. They just had enough of it, and they took that deal. Um, yeah, they get number 17. Great. That pick is worse than what they have. Jabril Peppers to replace Landon Collins, that's comical. That that And then it was pretty much a gimme in the third. It was an extra pick. Um, I thought they could have at least, if they really wanted to move, move Odell, should have asked at least two... Two ones, whether it be this year and next year, or at least got a second-round pick, or if you're going to get a player back, get one that's going to make an immediate impact. Jabril Preppers will not make that immediate impact. Yeah, I found some more information on that, which I think is fortunate because I decided not to do an instant reaction podcast. I wanted to say get let more information come out. So I read Peter King's Football Morning in America column yesterday. So one thing he knows is that the Giants got put this trade together in about 10 hours. So basically, on Tuesday morning, the Browns called them and said that they that they wanted to make the deal, and that ended up happening. The Giants had called Buffalo beforehand. After Antonio Brown, that deal fell through. They reached out to the Bills, saw their asked their interest in OBJ, and the Bills said no. Gettleman asked the Browns for two ones, according to King, but he was fine taking Peppers because he's Peppers is the equivalent of a second first round pick, which I don't think is right. No, that I, I mean, he should be fired for even saying that. Yeah, that that's embarrassing. Um. The one thing that I don't get about Dave Gettleman is, and if I were a New York Giants fan, I would be highly insulted. Um, I would I would consider the Giant fan base as very passionate. Yeah. Now, with any fan base, you're going to have a lot of people that know what's going on, and then you're going to have your regular homers that just, you know, everything the Giants do, they love, etc., but he has insulted on several occasions the smart football fan. And you can no longer take anything that this man is saying seriously. It's really emba- it's getting embarrassing. I would I would honestly be embarrassed if I was a Giants fan. Yeah, I just don't get what the plan is here because I mean, obviously you think okay, they're moving OBJ, they're going to rebuild, they're going to reload then Two days later, they go sign thir- like a 30-year-old slot receiver, Golden Tate, for $23.5 million guaranteed. They bring in 34-year-old Antoine Buffet to play in the secondary. They sign a linebacker, and they're planning to compete with a 38-year-old quarterback without the best receiver in the league. I don't think they have a plan. Yeah. Quite frankly, I don't think they have a plan. I don't think they know what they're doing at this moment. Um, now, if you would have told me that the Giants last year during the draft – didn't draft Saquon. Let's say they drafted an offensive lineman or the best defensive, um, defensive positional player available. Okay. Then they traded Landon Collins away for a pick rather than letting him go. Okay. Then they traded Odell for picks. Okay. And then they got rid of Eli Manning for picks. Then you could say, okay, we're in a rebuild. But there's like mixed reaction. You get a, you draft a guy in Saquon, which is more of a win now move. You get rid of Odell Beckham Jr. 
you bring in a slot receiver like Golden Tate, who's in his 30s already, and give him money. You get older on the defensive side. It just doesn't make sense. It really doesn't because, honestly, like by the time this team is good again, Saquon Barkley will have three, four years of mileage on his tires, and that's, good. that's not going to be – you have a limit win a win with him in his prime. You might as well consider trading Saquon Barkley at this point, which is wild yeah. because of how great he performed in, that, in his rookie campaign. But that should be on the table right now because by the time this team is competitive again, they are going to run that poor kid into the ground. I mean, think about it realistically. You know, the offensive line, yeah, they got a little bit better. You still have Eli who, you know, he he's done. Eli is done. And there's nothing else. Yeah. You have Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, um, Evan Ingram. Ingram's disappointment too. Uh, it's just like if you're playing the New York Giants, you know – I need to stack the box. They're going to run the ball. He's going to get 30 carries a game. And that's going to affect him in the long run. Plus, having Beckham around, you he was that guy who would stretch the top of the defense. So you can't sell your safeties. Okay, you can play 15 yards in the line of scrimmage. You have to go like 20 back because he can go blow the top off the cover. I don't, think, I don't think you have to really worry about that anymore. No, you don't. And like luckily enough for Giant fans, Dave Gellin was on WFM Mike Francesa earlier this week. Francesa asked him about what his plan was. So let's hear what he had to say about that. What is the big picture right now? You bring Eli back. You've brought some veterans in. You've gotten rid of veterans. Where do you think this franchise is right now, Dave? Well, well, we're building. Michael and I, I have this crazy idea that you can win while you're building. You know, we've, uh, you know, we, we, we've addressed some, some, some more offensive needs. You know, obviously, you know, uh, trading Odell, we, you know, we signed Golden Tate, who's a, who's a damn good, you know, professional football player. You know, wide receiver who's had a hell of a career, caught a bunch of, he had a bunch of 90 catch seasons. And uh, we brought in another quality, you know, solid veteran uh, offensive guy in Kevin Zeitler. Uh, and uh, so we're really feeling pretty, you know, good about the offense. Defensively, we've got holes, and that's what the drafts want. You know, we've, we've, we've got 12 draft picks. What exactly is he saying? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, for him to think. That they're still in position to win, it's embarrassing. It really is. If you're a Giants fan, you must, you probably can't wait to get this guy out of town. I swear, he just, just it makes no sense. Like you're building to win, but you're tra- you're getting rid of elite young talent. He said weeks before, like I'm not getting rid of talent, and he's just pushing talent out the door. He also said I didn't sign him to trade him, and look what happened. And of course, he then came back and said. That you know things changed over time. Oh, yeah, speaking uh, of that point, like he also, like Francesa also asked him about why he traded Odell Beckham. I have that for you as well. So let's hear that again, courtesy of WFAN. Actually, that's the wrong. That's the wrong clip. Wrong clip. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll go to the right clip. This is what Galvin had to say. Let's get to Beckham. Uh, you said I didn't draft him. To, I didn't sign him to trade him, and then he's gone. You gave him a lot of money. There's a lot of dead money on the cap. What changed? What changed? Again, you know, it's like I said it earlier. It was a football business decision. You know, it's it's. Um, you know, I, I got the proverbial offer I couldn't refuse. It happened fast, and um, you know they they con- you know Cleveland contacted us, and uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't turn the offer down. I just felt really strong, strongly. You know, again, Michael, it's like I said earlier. You know, back in the day, you know, you franchising. Hey, let's say we don't do the contract, we franchise them, and you know, only only once in NFL history has a franchise guy ever been signed. 
which and you get two first round picks for that. Well, you know, we we signed him because he, you know, we signed him because he's earned it. He deserved to be signed. And you know, we turned around and looking at our club and realizing he was a he was an asset. You know, the old saying, you got to, you know, you got to have money to make money. You know, so we we moved him for you know we moved one player for three players. Okay, that's a very very bad message to be sending right there. Number one that. That's the offer you can't refuse. You cannot refuse a mid round first, a mid first round pick, a third round pick, and then safety is underachieved in a couple of years in Cleveland. That's number one. Number two, to me, they're turning one player into three players. That's a great strategy point there. And they called he called the last one. He calls Odell Beckham an asset. You not maximize your asset by dealing exclusively with one team. I mean, you if you want to sell him off, get more teams involved, and maybe you get a better offer. Your audience couldn't see this, but throughout that entire <laughs> sequence, I'm just shaking my head in disbelief. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you just call him an asset, you say he deserves the money, but then you go on and trade him. That's contradicting at its finest, okay. right? I mean, if he was such an asset for this team, he should be on the New York Giants. There is no reason he should not. And you can't tell me that that was the best possible offer and you, you couldn't field other offers or it was too good to be true i I, it makes zero sense their plan makes zero sense right now because they're not winning that division next year they don't know when the next quarterback's coming in the building because francesa asked about that he said yeah you know look at the draft this year we're gonna evaluate our guys see if we find someone there and like it makes no sense because like wouldn't you rather have a court let's again go back to last year with sam with the choice to pass on sam darnold who probably would have been their guy if they took a quarterback Instead of having Sam Darnold on your team this year, ready to go with Beckham to throw the football to help him get better, you were talking about drafting a guy like Dwayne Haskins or Daniel Jones at, and giving him no outside weapons and having him face a, a uh, stacked box every week and say, here, kid, have fun. They're setting up their next quarterback of the future to fail yeah. right away, immediately. Immediately. Unless, unless Gettleman has some sort of plan that I'm not seeing and the rest of the universe isn't seeing whoever they bring in at the quarterback position whether he plays this season next season or the year after that it's going to be a train wreck yeah one of my friends with a giant fan has a theory about what they're doing here he thinks that Gettle is trying to turn the Giants into the Carolina Panthers offensively in terms that they're built on a strong running game a short passing game without any big deep threats he thinks he thinks the Giants trying to duplicate that formula in New York with Saquon Barkley with like Golden Tate and Shepard sort of like have quick passing and get the ball out of Eli's hands fast, and they think they can win that way. Which, sorry, they're wrong. They're not. They're not winning that way. On the also to contradict that a little bit and, and combat that, Carolina's defense was the main reason why they were so good. Not that quick offense. Yeah. That giant. This Giants defense is nowhere near that Carolina defense. Yeah. We also heard Gelman Ford say, "Oh, I have twelve draft picks." So is we using ten of them on defense, hoping that five of them hit turn to starters? And then you still don't have anybody that could stretch the. F- stretch the field at the wide receiver position there's he's created there was holes he's filled some and there's and he has also created holes in in this in this quick offseason yeah they're gonna have a long offseason ahead of them but let's move on to the other team in town here the Jets which is pick up the cliffhanger last week they did it they got Le'Veon Bell a lot to celebrate (laughs) Yep, they got the job done. Le'Veon Bell at midnight tweets out his rap album, his uh, his, his, his mix album, and then he he reveals that he's going to be going to the Jets. Great contract for the Jets. 
I thought they nailed it. Yeah. I thought they nailed it. They didn't. I thought the contract was going to be insane. I mean, we were talking about it last week when a friend of the podcast, Matt Verram, tweeted out earlier that day that they they were offering something around seventeen to twenty million yeah, a year. Insane. Yeah. Insane. Um, the fact that they were able to get Le'Veon Bell for what they did was a win. The fact that they were able to bring Le'Veon Bell to New York, that's a win, especially with the Jets. I think when you entered this offseason, the one goal was do whatever it takes to get Le'Veon Bell to come to New York, and the Jets were able to do that at not a discounted price, but a at fair, a, a fair price. A fair price, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, kudos to them. Now, the only thing is, how will he perform? What can you expect from Le'Veon Bell after uh, taking a year off? Will he be the same running back he was before this year off? I mean, what more of an incentive does Bell have to play at an elite level now that he's been paid? Well, I think he obviously wants to stick it to the Steelers and show, like, you know what? Like, I should have, like, you should have paid me right away. You shouldn't have made me, like, do this. And actually, in my contract, I would have done this for you. I hope that sense of motivation plays a factor in how he will play. Again, the other thing, though, that I don't, I'm not a fan of is the fact that the guy waits till midnight coincidentally when his mixtape drops and now I'm a New York Jet I mean that's sending mixed emotions when you know that entire day everybody's on Twitter scrolling up and down and refreshing trying to see you know where's Le'Veon Bell going meanwhile that decision was made hours ago yeah well, I can't blame the man for trying to promote himself off the field. Of course not, but I mean, you know, I don't think he's getting enough promotion on the field. He's getting enough recognition. He's his brand, his name is big enough outside of football. He didn't need to combine the two. Yeah, and now he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week. The, the cover story is about his decision to go to the Jets. I'm excited to get that in a couple of days. See what that's going to look like. I mean, listen, this is the first time in a long time for the Jets. Yeah. I mean, they're usually not the team that we're talking about in you know in the off season or in New York. It's Giants, 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 and here we are now where the Jets have certainly surpassed the Giants. Yeah, they def- they definitely heading. They definitely, I think they've become the best team in this city. Not that that means much because right now they're probably still like seven, eight wins, as opposed to Giants four. But like they're going in the right direction, without a doubt. And here's the the more the more important thing out of that is that I think they're in that seven to nine win range yeah. for this upcoming season. But more importantly, this Jets team is going to be competitive in every game, and that's what you want to see. You want to see your team battle in every game and have a chance every week, not get blown out. Yeah, so obviously Bell fills the big running back hole. They filled the big hole, the linebacker spot with C.J. Mosley. Like, what do you think are the biggest areas they still have to address? I think at this point, now that you have Bell, you have a young quarterback, do everything you can to build the strongest and biggest offensive line possible. Create opportunities for Bell that will lessen the pressure for Darnold. He won't have to throw the ball 30 times. But when he does drop back, like he did plenty of times last season— you know, he'll have more time to find an open wide receiver. Uh, Sam Darnold took strides in the right direction towards the end of last year. So I am totally confident that he could be that guy for the New York Jets. Now you want to protect him. And you want to put as le- less pressure on him as possible. Let Le'Veon Bell be the workhorse of this team. Yeah, I think in general, the center is the one spot they still have left on the line to fill because Jonathan Harrison is starting there right now. I don't think he'll stay there. I feel like they could draft a guy in the third round and sort of develop him into their new starting center. Yeah, I think if you could build a big offensive line, that'd be great. 
And also, if you, you now that you got the running back, let's give Sam Darnold someone else to throw the ball to. Other than Jamison Crowder that they signed, I mean, come on, I think we could do yeah. better than that. Now, I'm, there's not much available left, but maybe you take a you take a dive into the draft and you bring someone in. Yeah, I don't. I would not go after DK Metcalf in the first round because he scares you with the low body fat and the fact he's injured all the time in college and doesn't run routes very well. I mean, no, no, I think he's just a freak of nature, but he's not going to pan out. Yeah, I think maybe if you can get talk to the Bengals and see maybe you can get AJ Green off of them, that would be fantastic to top that group off. That would be huge. Yeah, that would be huge. That would that would put the Jets in a ten plus win scenario right away. Yeah, I also think in terms of just defensively, I think obviously you got a corner because they're paying Daryl Roberts like a starter. I don't think he should be a starting on that team. He should be like more of a reserve defensive back. And they still don't have that edge rusher after Anthony Barr decided to pull the switcheroo and go back to Minnesota. So they need to get one. They need to get one there. But this year's draft is very, very heavy with, yeah. with rushers and on that defensive side. So if you need help on the defensive end side of things, you're in the right place. Yeah, I feel like that's going to be where that first pick goes in terms of the draft. That's going to be where they're going to go with number three. Or if they trade back to like six or something like that, they'll still take one. Yeah, it all de- it all really depends. But I think for them, it's best player available. Might be Nick Bosa. could fall in their laps. I don't think so. Yeah. I think he's going number one. Yeah, you still you don't buy the Murray hype. Uh, I really don't. Yeah. I really don't. And if they do that, then Josh Rosen is, is gone. Yeah. I mean, they're going to trade Josh, Josh Rosen on draft day. If they go with Murray. If Murray's the pick, Rosen's gone. Maybe that's Galvin's secret plan. He's going to try and lowball Arizona for Josh Rosen. Which, again, if he ends up getting Josh Rosen for a third-round pick, that's a win in your book. Yeah. But, again, you still have a weak offensive line. And you have a good running back, but you know you have Josh Rosen with a 32-year-old slot-wide receiver and not a lot of talent around him. Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens with them going forward. Joe, thanks for all the time, as always. Anytime, Mike. You know that. Before we let you go, you want to let everybody know how to on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to? Yeah, so you can follow me on social media, specifically Twitter, at Joe, double underscore. Don't forget that double. Do not forget the double. And then my last name, D-A-L-O-I-S-I-L. Very cool, and since this is March Madness and we're doing some bracketology, I obviously am running a bracket pool. Joe may not be in it, but he does have a bracket filled out, so who are your final four teams, Joe? Iona, 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 and Iona. <laughs> is that all right? Well, you might not do so well if that's your actual bracket. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Um, so my final four, I'm going Duke, I'm going Michigan, I'm going Virginia, and North Carolina. A lot of chalk there. Yeah, that's a lot of chalk. Who do you have winning? A lot of chalk. I have Duke winning. I mean, I know they're not the best at the free throw line. I know they're not the best um, from, from behind the arc. Um, and they would pro- they would be the worst three-point shooting team to ever make the Final Four. Forget about winning a national championship. Um, but I just think Zion's athleticism and, you know, everything that he does is amazing. Yeah. And he elevates everybody else around him on the court. I mean, if Barrett is having... Uh, a good day if reddish if cam is is shooting well um if they get good guard play if everything comes together and zion is being zion this is going to be a tough team to beat very cool up next i will do we'll do more bracketology i'm going to be joined by brian ralph of busting brackets right after this up to a slow start but again a big night last night against Pitt. nice look to Bayheim, who's looking for help and williamson comes up with the steal and here he goes Who is going to stop this? That knee looked just fine there. 
leads the ACC in steals, and that's why. He read the eyes of Buddy Beheim, knew that the play was going to be behind the action, and was able to shoot that gap. Wonderful season. All right, and we're back on the Just End of Suffering podcast. That call you just heard from ESPN's Dan Schulman and Jay Billis. The big dunk in Zion Williamson's first game back in Syracuse. Duke goes on to win the ACC tournament. It's the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament out of the East region. Join me today to break down the brackets and all the excitement from March Man is a guy who covers the sport for fan side, writes for busting brackets. Brian Ralph is here with us today. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Very excited for March Madness. I've been doing a lot of college hoops writing myself at Fansided. But my first question to you is, obviously we have the bracket in front of us. How do you think the committee did with the bracket? I feel like they've done a be- did a lot better this year than they have in recent years. Yeah, they really did. Um, and that was given. I don't think there was necessarily a whole lot of potential pitfalls for them given how bad the bubble was this year. There's no real team that was a potential snub that was kind of on the bubble. Everybody situation had major major flaws in the resume which certainly helped but i agree they, they seem to do a fantastic job with the exception of, of one or two teams yeah i think one exception i think was clear i feel like michigan state probably is one of the biggest gripes anybody in the field they you could argue they play on the one line because they won the big 10 regular season title and the conference tournament title instead they get a two seed and they up in duke's region which it's not fair for them because Michigan lost both spots, gets a better draw going out to play Gonzaga in the West. Like, how big a beat do you think the Spartans have right now? Oh, well, they should be mad at Trump up on the sea line, but I'm actually a fan of where they ended up region-wise. Uh, they're compared to Michigan because, of obviously, of the difference between the two this year. Like, they beat that. But the lower half of that region, um, the east region that Michigan State's in, it's very everything sets up very well for them to get to the Elite Eight. They're going to play um, in the Sweet Sixteen a potential LSU game, uh, team who's missing their head coach, any Cinderella that comes out of there. I don't think there's anybody in their 14 pod over the weekend that can necessarily test them. Michigan, on the other hand, will play the winner of Nevada and Florida, which are two very experienced, teams. lots of tournament experience, uh, experience success in the term well, particularly last year with the And then if they get past that and they play a very good Texas Tech team at the Sweet 16 and all like that's probably the best to be out there. So I, I took a look at it in a different direction where, yes, in terms of just straight seeding, uh, Michigan State has a bomb, but in terms of their actual draw, I like Michigan State's draw better. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, they're going to have to deal with Duke eventually anyway, so that's something they definitely have to consider. Another thing I noticed that was weird is that a couple of these, like, lower seeds got, like, pretty good, like, like uh, neutral sites to play in. Like, Cincinnati going to Columbus for the first two rounds. They might have a home game if they get to Tennessee in the second round. Then you have Kansas. If they get to the Sweet 16, they're playing in Sprint Center, which is basically Allen Fieldhouse West. So, like, how do you think the committee did, like, basically giving road games in North Carolina and Tennessee in those spots? Right, and then also if you look uh South in Virginia's region, you have Oregon potentially playing at home in San Jose. Maybe not at home, but a West Coast game against Wisconsin as low receiving and UC Irvine playing in San Jose against Kansas State. They they really put a lot of those higher seeds at a disadvantage in a lot of those teams. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, but like obviously they did a pretty good job. I f- I'm real ha- very happy Belmont got in. We're recording on Wednesday. Last night they proved the committee right. They beat Temple up and got to the first round. So like, how 
How do you feel about the fact they brought in teams like Belmont and UNC Greensboro was going to be in the field until Oregon won? You feel they're going to do include more mid-majors going forward in terms of at-large consideration? I hope so. I mean, it's certainly trending that direction. There are mid-major teams that have gotten at-large bids has increased each of the past three or years. So it's moving in the right direction in the inclusion of Belmont and then the potential inclusion of UNC Greensboro had lost their business in the Pac-12 championship game. I think shows a good line of thinking with the committee giving more opportunities to these major teams. I think more opportunities should be given to them. I would like to in, um, you know, a couple more teams be in that mix this year, but I'm happy with the progress that we're making in that regard. Absolutely. So let's go to the actual, some of the actual games in this tournament. So we have our first six, our first 32 matchups that are coming over the next two days. So which games mm-hmm. intrigue you the most in the first round? The big one that stands out to me is the 7-10 game, Wofford and Seton Hall. Both of them were teams I was looking at for the bracket statement as teams that were probably going to be in the range that could make a Sweet 16 Elite 8 type run, have that relevant potential. So I was a little bit upset that the committee put them in the same game, so only one out of that. But the plus side of that is uh, that game is going to be spectacular. Fletcher McGee going up against Miles Powell is going to be a ton of fun to watch. Uh, just the style of play from both of them being perimeter-oriented and uh, very good shooting teams. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I like that one as well. I also like the Marquette-Murray State game. That's a lot of fun seeing Marcus Howard and John Moran go against each other. Yeah, that's another one of those one-on-one matchups that's going to be very, very interesting. And because they both run point, they're going to actually be going at each other. Uh, so that's going to be a point of television as well. Yeah, that's one of those 5-12 upsets that a lot of people are going to be looking at is that because of Murray State and John Moran. So... What kind of upsets do you have your eye on right now? Who do you think can spring the upset and, and try and spoil some brackets in the first round? Yeah, well, I actually have, have – I think the first round is going to be filled with them. I actually have 10 lower seeds winning um, the, those first-round matches. One of them is UCF as a nine seed, so that one doesn't technically count, I guess, so you go with nine. But I think there's going to be a good number of upsets in the first round this year, more than normal. The big one that I have is Old Dominion beating Purdue – a 14 seed over a three. Old Dominion, a very good defensive team. Won the Conference USA regular season and tournament championships. Purdue struggling a little bit of late, particularly Carson Edwards. I think he shot below 25% from the field in four of their last seven games. He's not playing well at all, and when he's not playing well, Purdue doesn't play well either. That's the big one I look for. Uh, I, have, I like Oregon as a 12 seed beating Wisconsin, as I mentioned, in San Jose. And a couple 13 seeds as well, uh, particularly Northeastern knocking off Kansas. And then you see Irvine locking off Kansas State. Now that Kansas State doesn't have Dean Wade, those to me are the big ones to look out for. Yeah, I like those as well. What I'm also keeping my eye on, I'm weighing doing it in my bracket as well, is uh, Yale is a 14 seed over LSU because LSU with, now without Will Wade, they lost the first round of the L- SEC, SEC tournament to Florida, and the, the spread of that game is only seven and a half points, which means Vegas believes something is going to happen in that game. Yeah, I, I actually go the other way with this one. Yale was another team that I looked at and liked as their upset potential, depending on where they ended up. I think LSU is a bad matchup for them with LSU's size and athleticism and the fact that they're one of the best rebounding teams in the country. Will Wade's absence is going to be a, a factor for them, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor as everybody else thinks it does. They got Javante Smart back, so they have their full roster of on-court players, which I think matters more than anything else. And while they did lose in their first game this SEC tournament, it was a three-point loss to Florida, the same Florida team that pushed them to overtime in both of the regular season games when LSU did have Will Wade. And so I saw that loss to Florida as more of 
uh, more indicative of the way Florida plays them and kind of the tough matchup that pr- proves for LSU uh, than anything Will Wade, Will Wade related or how that might affect them in the tournament. Yeah, let's also look at the uh, angle here. Last year we had, obviously, Loyola Chicago makes this tremendous run, goes from 11 seed to the Final Four. So who do you think could be this year's Loyola Chicago make a deep run that no one's expecting? That, that's tough for me. I only had a double-digit seed in my Sweet 16, so while I had a lot of early upsets, I don't have any of them making a real run. The only one I do is Oregon. And Oregon's not a Cinderella material because they played in power school, uh, power conference. We're ranked in the top 20 and the top 15 in the preseason. Um, struggled before turning it on, really, over the last eight games or so. They're the only one that I think will, will really do it. If you want to go with a true mid-major, um, Utah State as an eight seed has some potential for me if they can pass North Carolina in the second round. I don't think they will. I'll, I'll throw a spoiler out. I have UNC winning the championship. I think they're the best team in the country. But Utah State can provide that tough matchup. And if they win that, I think it sets up well for them to make a run. Uh, Murray State obviously could, as you mentioned, with John Morant, if he kind of goes crazy. Uh, Seton Hall is another team uh, that if they get past Wofford, they will probably play Kentucky. They've already beaten Kentucky this year. Miles Powell is the kind of guy who can take over the tournament with, with his play. So those would be teams I'd watch out for. But, again, I don't necessarily see uh, that long run happening this year. Yeah, the one I had my eye on before the brackets were revealed was Wofford because I've been high on them for weeks because of their ability to shoot the three and the fact they score a ton of points and that they're on this long winning streak. But I think they got a brutal draw having it first deal the Red Hot yeah. Seton Hall team and then they have Kentucky. And Kentucky has shown that they're not like afraid of dealing with these high-powered mid-mayors. If you think back to Wichita State when they were undefeated, Kentucky went there as an eight seed and beat them. Yeah, and that four-team pod might be the, the best sort of uh, pod of the weekend. Uh, Kentucky's going to get by Abilene Christian, no problem, but Wofford and Seton Hall are both very capable of beating Kentucky, which will give us probably one of the best second-round games of the tournament. Yeah, which team do you think? Like, I think I wrote an article on Fanside recently. I don't know if it's out yet, but about the 10 teams, the toughest path to the Final Four. I believe Kentucky has it because I feel like their region is very loaded and very difficult to get through. Do you think somebody else has a yeah. harder pass to the Final Four? Kentucky's certainly up there. Uh, I think Gonzaga really has a, has a tough pass as well, just in terms of the defenses we'll have to face. They'll get by their first round game, no problem. Uh, there's no 16th that's going to be the one seed this year. You know, we we waited, you know, however many years, and it's not going to happen twice in a row now. Um, but then they have a potential second round game against Syracuse, and while Syracuse isn't uh, as great this year as a lot of people thought they would be. They still have three really good players and play that zone that's always tricky in the tournament. They get past that, they'll likely face Florida State in the Sweet 16. Uh, Florida State team that beat them in the Sweet 16 last year, and Florida State returns uh, essentially everybody from that team. So that's going to be another tough matchup. Then you get to the Elite Eight, and they're probably going to play Texas Tech, who has the nation's best defense and a potential top five pick in Jarrett Culver, or a Michigan team that is also in the top five in the country defensively. So for being a one-seed Gonzaga, I think, if everything goes according to plan in the, in the rest of that region, which certainly is no guarantee because I think really seeds one through seven in there could have a realistic chance of making the Final Four from Gonzaga all the way down to Nevada. Um, for being a one-seed, Gonzaga got a really, really tough draw. Yeah, let's talk about Duke for one second also. Duke, is, as we know, everybody they're the favorites. A lot of people are picking Duke to win. Where do you think will be their toughest matchup along the way? I was going over this yesterday, and I honestly don't know because the, the way the region sets up for them, 
is essentially set up as another cakewalk to the Final Four. Uh, that two seed in the region, Michigan State, has performed very well this year, uh, but they're injured. And they're shorthanded. They have really only six normal rotation players who are healthy. They'll play a couple more guys spot minutes. But eventually, they have to catch up with them at some point. The LSU is the three seed, and as, as we mentioned, while I think it's not going to be a huge problem for them, not having Will Wade uh, is going to keep them from beating a team like Duke should that matchup happen in the Elite Eight. Uh, I like Virginia Tech having the best chance to. Um, I don't think they will. I, I think Duke kind of cruises in the final four there. But Virginia Tech did get beat Duke a couple weeks ago, and it was during that stretch when Duke didn't have Zion Williamson. Virginia Tech also didn't have Justin Robinson, who was their star point guard and one of the better point guards in the entire country. Having both of them, having Robinson back, plus the experience of already beating this team, the confidence that gives them, uh, plus the fact that they're a good three-point shooting team, I could see that happening. That would be, but that'd be the only potential speed bump I see teams hitting on their way to the bubble. All right, last thing. Let's go, go to the end here. Who do you have making the final four, and who do you have winning it all? So I have Duke. Um, I have Virginia coming out of, out of the South. I I think that region, kind of like Duke's region, just sets up very well. There's no team that has, is really an offensive juggernaut they'd have to deal with. There's no team that plays at a fast pace that they'd have to deal with. There's no team that really presses, which they've struggled with this year, that they'd have to deal with. So it sets up well for Virginia, Virginia to come out. Um, as I mentioned, like UNC to come out of their region. I, Kentucky, I, I could see slipping up sometime before they leave eight, but uh, I, I like UNC to get through there. As I said, I think they're the best team in the country. Then they have Texas Tech coming out of the West. Uh, Gonzaga's road is too tough for the defenses that they play. I don't trust Michigan's offense. Texas Tech, I think, is the most well-rounded of the teams in that region. And then I, I have Duke over Texas Tech and then UNC over Virginia, which will give us a Duke-UNC team of game, which might cause the entire state of North Carolina to explode, <laughs> uh, which would be it would be nuts. They haven't played each other in a tournament before, and that's kind of the one big thing missing in the rivalry. So if the first one were to happen in the championship game, uh, that would kind of give someone bragging rights forever. Um, but I, I do think North Carolina would win that game uh, should they meet in the championship game. Yeah, North Carolina over Duke, Ryan Rouse pick, and that would be a fantastic year. I mean, of all years for them to have their first tournament meeting for it to be this year with the way these games have produced over the first three, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's got to happen at some point, you know, and it'll probably happen sooner rather than later. All right, Brian Ralph from Rusting Brackets. Thank you for all the time. Brian, before you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to over at Fansite with Busting Brackets. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at bralph33. It's B-R-A-U-F-33. I'll also be live tweeting throughout the tournament. Um, BustingBrackets.com. got a lot of great stuff. We have a great team of writers who have really been covering this tournament from every angle. So anything you could possibly want to know or look into, uh, it's up there. I have articles. With the most likely upset, um, I, I think the most important one maybe might be the top seeds that are definitely not going to win the championship. I went through five top three seeds and laid out why they're going to come up short and why you should take them to win the championship. Give that a look. I also have some bold predictions as well. But again, everything you could possibly want from your tournament coverage is online at bustingbrackets.com. All right, I'll be sure to stop there before I submit my final bracket. Brian, thank you for all the time today. I appreciate it. All right, that was Brian Ralph from Busting Brackets, breaking down everything you know about March Madness. Up next, a little bonus coverage of Iona's Media Day, my conversation with some of the players right after this. But the horn will sound, and that'll do it. It's back to back to back to back. Mac championships for the Iona Gales, four straight 
five out of the last seven. Ricky McGill, four for four in his career. And the Iona Gales are dancing again. They're back in the New York groove. All right, and we're back. That call you guys heard was courtesy of Iona Insider and Iona student Austin Stellato calling the end of the MAC championship game for the Iona Gales. Won their fourth consecutive MAC title and are now in the Arch Madness for the fourth straight year. They travel to Columbus, Ohio, take on six, number one seed North Carolina on Friday night at 9.20 p.m. Before the team departed today, I came down to New Rochelle, got to go to media day, and we got some quotes from you for you, the listeners, from the players and the coaches. Let's get started with senior point guard Ricky McGill, the only player in MAC history to go to four straight NCAA tournaments. Let's hear from Ricky right now. What's your advice to them? Oh yeah, we're the underdogs. I mean, we gotta just come out all or nothing. Just give it your off forty minutes, play eye on the basket, and try and get a win, try to get an upset. How do you shift your mindset from what took place on Sunday, seeing your name to now channeling in on North Carolina? Uh, man, it's a, it's a big one for us. I mean, we haven't played a team like that, so for us to get a team like this, we gotta try and give it all and play forty minutes. After going more over the game plan, what do you think this game comes down to with their style? Oh, just just getting stops on defense. That's what it's about, defense. Just trying to get stops on defense, trying try and get open looks on offense, and try and win the game. They, they, they play they play fast. You, know, you guys always always think you're the up-tempo team. Do you guys try to slow it down at all or change what you play at all? Yeah, yeah we, we've been trying to like change it up a little bit because they play fast too, so we got to try and try and play our game, try and come out and get a win. What have you learned since Sunday night? about this team you're facing on Friday? Uh, they play fast, just like us, but probably, probably even better. I mean, we just got to come out and just try and, try and get upset. How is this different your fourth straight year going to the NCAA tournament? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not different, but it's a little different playing with different guys. So now I just got to tell them, like, it's all or nothing. Just play 40 minutes. Did Coach show you the UMBC Virginia game? Oh uh, no! Nah, I, I mean, I seen it. I seen it a lot. I I, over, I watched it again uh, this past couple of days just to see like what they did to get a uh, win over a number one team. So just for just come on, just play. How much belief does that give you that it was just okay. happened last year that a 16 beat a one? Oh, that gives us that gives us a lot of confidence. Seeing that a 16 beat a, a number one team, and just gotta come out and just play play our game. Rick, uh, you guys last year played Duke. Coach said he was going to show you some film to show you like some opportunities you had that maybe you, you didn't take advantage of. Did you do that this week? Did you yeah, watch Duke I, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been watching. I've been watching. Uh, been watching how we played against Duke last year. How North Carolina played against Duke. How Duke played against North Carolina. I watched a couple games. I mean, just trying, trying to study, trying to see what I can do, trying to get my team to win. You played against a great point guard this week. You played against a lot of great players. But he's got to be probably up there at the top of the list. Yeah, 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 definitely. He probably, yeah, he's up there on top of the list. He's a point guard that we want to get. We just got to try and stop him. What do you tell these guys? Because you've been there, this is your fourth year. What do you tell these guys to maybe keep them a little, instead of being nervous, kind of a little more? Oh, just play high on the basketball. Man. I don't to be nervous about some big, some big games, big stage. You just got to come out and play basketball. Is really worries to give you any advice? Uh, I mean, nah, I, have, I haven't talked to him yet, <laughs> but I'm going I'm to talk to him now. I'm going to talk to him probably the next couple of days. Next up, we're going to hear from Iona, from Iona guard EJ Crawford, who is the team's leading scorer. It's a confidence level at an all-time high, seeing that you guys are heading into the tournament riding a hot streak. Well, of course. You know, we won 10 in a row. You know, like I said, everyone found their spots. You know, we just go out there, share the ball, play on the basketball floor, and compete. You're one of the returners from last year's team, and obviously you had big dance experience. What have you shared with your teammates? Uh, you know, just go out there and just be composed. You know, it's going to be... 
you know, feel the all Tar Heel fans, you know, people yelling, you know, just just play out on the basketball. You know, at the end of the day, it's basketball. You know, you got to put the ball in the rim. So we just go out there and play ball. You know, it should be fun. EJ, what have you learned the last couple of days about North Carolina? Uh, it's, they're big, they're deep, you know, they're a good team, you know. If you go out there, you know, stay to the basics, you know, help each other on defense, you know, share the ball, feel like we can compete. You guys have tried to run and kind of play your game the last three years, or a couple of years you were there. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything differently? They're, I mean, they're one of the fastest playing, you know, tempo teams in the country. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything differently? Do you adjust? Do you, do you not play like Iona's game this week? No, nah, we're going to play Iona basketball. You know, yeah, they're probably bigger than us, faster than us, but, you know, if we help each other, like I said, you know, we should be able to compete. Coach said he was going to have you guys watch film mm -hmm. of the Duke game and see some of the opportunities you guys had and you know what you could have taken advantage of if you played a little better in that game. Mm -hmm. Did you do that this week and what what do you kind of learn from your experience there last year? Oh yeah, you know we watched so much film, you know, from the from when they played uh, Davidson, you know, so much film. So you know we're just going to go out there and just play. AJ, is, is defense a key for you in a game like this? You know, of course, you know, they got a lot of shooters, you know, like Camp Johnson, he shoots them out of 47 percent from the trade goal. So, you know, you gotta close out, you know, help each other. You know. It's gonna be it's gonna be a tough game. Is it different playing a slower offense? Uh, yeah, uh, for sure, because you know them, like they get up and down, you know, you gotta get back, you know, Kobe White's one of the fastest guards in the world, so you gotta get back. Uh, how do you, do you? A lot of people aren't giving you guys a, a shot. Yeah, what do you no, guys do? It. Yeah, what do you guys do to kind of use that as for motivation? You know, you just take it all in. You know, nobody thinks we're gonna win. You know, except for us. So, you know, we're gonna go out there. You know, compete, play hard, have each other's back, and you know, just live with the results. Next up, we'll hear from guard Asante Gist. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for us, you know. Me growing up personally, I always like the targets. So to be able to play against them, you know, it's a big, big opportunity for us. But we got to understand this is a business trip we're going out here to do something very special. So, we, you know, we've been very focused to practice all week and focused on certain things that we got to do to be able to go out here and get this win. What's that per preparation been like? How has it changed since you found out who your opponent is? Well, we always prepare the same way. You know, we always stay focused. And we, have little things that coach does that prepare for certain different teams. So it's not really nothing spectacular besides, you know, it's a little bit better, I guess, competition is more to say. But we feel as though we can play with anybody and we're going to go out there and do what we have to do to get this win. You watch the film, you know who UNC has. What are some things that stood out to you in watching them? I know they play very fast, kind of how we play, but, you know, they get up and down a lot. They really don't have a set offense. It's kind of just free fall play. So I know that we got to get back, and we made it a huge emphasis to get back in transition. So that's going to be a big thing for us to get back in transition defense, and that's about it. What are you looking forward to the most overall from this experience? Just a blessing, man. Just to be able to play in, in this environment and this type of game is just a big blessing. It just shows how hard I worked my whole entire life to get here. Just to be able to play against North Carolina, like I said, I was a huge fan growing up, and to be able to play against them is just a huge opportunity for me. But I'm going to go out there and, you know, and do what I have to do to do anything possible for my team to win. Next up, we'll hear from forward Tawan Ag. Tawan, what does it mean right now as you head off to the NCAA tournament? Uh, it means a lot. Um, you always look forward to these type of times as a kid growing up watching uh, college basketball. So I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. What do you think about the Gales taking on the number one seed? Do you like the challenge or do you think it's unfair? Of course I like the challenge. <laughs> we don't like the challenge. Uh, we know what type of monster we're going against. And, uh, hopefully we can be that David. <laughs> How much discussion has there been on what took place last year with UNBC in Virginia? Um, 
we know we know uh, it happened before, and we know that it can happen again. And uh, hopefully, we can we can be that one, that 16, that, that beat that one. Have you watched that game back again recently? Uh, I have. I'm not going to lie, but uh, my coach had, uh, brought it to our attention. So we, we know. We know. What has Ricky said to you guys that haven't played in the tournament game about what the moment's like <laughs> and not getting overwhelmed by it? Uh, just to go out there and play hard, uh, enjoy the moment, live in the moment, and uh, just play as hard as we can just like we treat every game. Have you been able to enjoy this moment so far? Yeah. Uh, my mom's called. Said she's coming to the game. Uh, dad called. Hope my parents are coming. So I'm just excited about the game. Excited to get the opportunity to play with in front of my family. Do you think this team could play loose? I mean, you're playing with house money. Mm -hmm. uh, we hope so. <laughs> we hope so. Can you describe this feeling starting the air at 2 and 9 and now you're dancing? It's surreal. Uh, a lot of people doubted us, so uh, we just we just happy to prove them wrong. And last but certainly not least, head coach Tim Clewis. It's pretty cool. It's actually our sixth trip and fourth in a row, so you know what? They're all special. Tim, what is it like taking this group to the NCAA tournament? It's a little more special because of the fact of where they came from and what they had to do to get here. And we're the least probable team, and we're two and nine. Nobody would have believed this, and including most people who are getting on the bus now. But we never gave up and had faith, and kids worked hard, and it's great. What do you guys learn this week about North Carolina? I learned they're really good. They're really big. They play really fast. Uh, talented team. We're going to have to do a lot of things really, really well to compete in this game, but our guys are up for the challenge. You guys never slow it down when you play in these games. Is it different this week? We'll see. We'll see. Tim, you, you got to coach against Duke last year. Now you're going against Carolina. How about the challenge for you? I think it's terrific. You get to go against the best coaches in the business, and I think that's why you do this. You want to play against the best as a team, and you want to coach against the best. What do you tell your kids? Give it everything they have, leave it all on the floor, enjoy the moment. You know, it's, it's something they're going to remember for a lifetime, so make it a good memory. Tim, do you try to enjoy the moment as well? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> when it's over, I look back at it more, but you know, we try to find time to enjoy it for our family and friends and know that we did something special here. But right now, it's all business for us. Did you talk to Danny Green? Did he give you any pointers? No, you know what? I heard Danny pick North Carolina. I saw it on TV, so I was a little mad, so I'm going to text him before the game and, and talk to him about that pick of his. What kind of pride do you have getting on this bus road? Tremendous pride in our program and in our school, and everyone who supports us. And it's been great here, and I love it. And I love being in New York and being a part of all this. No, we're going to be doing that when we're there. We want to do it closer to the game. Just a reminder, you know that. I'm going to also remind them of when um, I own a beat in North Carolina at the Garden a number of years back. And that was a big win for the Iona program. So things can happen. That's why you play the game. That's what's great about March Madness. Is it important? Not just as an inspiration, obviously, but it's probably tendencies you can learn from that game as well. You it's just want to see how they, team. exactly, how do they execute against the Virginia team, what things worked, what things didn't work. I think you've watched some of the games last night, some high majors against mid-majors, and all the mid-majors that fought really well and were in games, a couple of them had wins as well. So I think that's terrific. What's her goal by showing them that video? Is it to visualize and internalize that this is possible? Yeah, yeah, they have to believe it in order for it to happen. If you don't believe it, it never happens. Will you promise to meet us here in the same spot if you go to the Sweet 16 next week? Oh, <laughs> and, and with my dancing shoes on. <laughs> All right, there you have it. That's your footage from Iona's Media Day. The Gales are heading to Columbus to take on 
North Carolina in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They will face off with the Tar Heels on Friday night at 9.20 p.m. Game will be televised on TNT. Up next, show me the money, Bracketology Edition, right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back. Show me the money. Wild for the first time since football season. Show me the money is back. We are doing a bracketology special today. Joining us on the podcast, first a guy who I talked to back in December. In one of our shows on the road, college football expert, in my opinion, Will Smith is back with us. Will, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. How are you today? Doing very good. Also, when joining us today, guy who I talked to when we, I did the road, first road podcast back in December. We are back in his attic for this segment after we just did our fantasy baseball draft. Nick D'Alessio is here with us. Nick, how are you? Back in the attic sounds so like creepy. <laughs> <laughs> We're back in the attic. Here we go. I like it. I hey, like it. It's only three dudes in the attic. Can't be worse. <laughs> yeah, it's just three dudes in an attic. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously we did our baseball draft. Before we get into the why we're here, it's the college basketball. Any thoughts on how that went, guys? With the baseball draft? Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know anything about baseball, and you guys know a lot about baseball, and you said I did pretty good. So. Yeah, Nick. For somebody who doesn't know baseball at all, actually has a pretty good team going for him. So uh, looking yeah. forward to the year. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some guys in this league who did not have great drafts, but we're not going to talk about them right now. So we'll get into why we're here, which is the college basketball. The brackets were revealed on Sunday. Will, you and I are the ones who follow this religiously. What was your big takeaway from the bracket reveal on Sunday? I think this is the first year in a long time that they actually got it right, that you didn't have some team that had 16 losses as like a 10 seed in there. Um, a lot of good matchups, a lot of good teams that deserve to be there. Um, but I think they got it right. Everybody that I see in this bracket deserves to be there. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you there because I mean, for a while I felt like the years like, oh, you know, they didn't take the mid majors, they didn't, you know, put the teams in the right seed line. Like I found very maybe one or two nitpicks of where teams went end up seeding wise, but I think they took the right sixty eight teams. No, I totally agree. And I'm tired of seeing like a sixteen and fourteen Texas team being there and it's like a nine seed or a a 15 and 13 Syracuse team being an 11 seed. It just, you know, there's teams that go 27 and four and they get, they don't get any recognition. Yeah. Like Belmont who we were watching earlier playing in the first four tonight, they get, they get the at large bit out of the OVC. They're playing well against Temple recorded at halftime of that game. So we won't know how that's going, but nice to see them get in. Yes, absolutely. And they're, uh, they've been there before. I think this is their first time in what, four years that they haven't been there, but uh, they're a very, uh, very good team this year. And Hey, they got an automatic bid out of a mid major. Okay. And just to set up the formula here, I obviously do a lot of college basketball stuff, right? A ton for fans side on college hoops. So I'm well-versed in it. Will, you would, you would say that you are a guy who is, you're, you're at the bar often. You're watching the games every night. You're keeping track of everything. Often is an understatement, but um, yeah, no, I watch every, I try to watch every game, regardless if it's a big 12 game or an ACC game. Like if, you know, the American conference is on or even the Mac, you know, who you're a big fan of with Iona, any game that's on college basketball wise, when it comes close to the tournament, I'm watching. Go Gales. And Nick is here. Nick is more of our casual guy who Nick does not watch a lick of college basketball during the regular season. Well, Will said what you called him was an understatement. What you were calling me is an overstatement. Yeah. Um, I think the last time I watched a college game was might have been at your house, and that might have been at least five years ago. Yeah, not counting the one we were watching downstairs. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, the way that we were watching downstairs, 
for background for, noise. for the listeners yeah. background noise for our draft yeah and that's the extent at which i pay attention to college sports yeah and that was prairie view and fairly dickinson with fairly dickinson coming back to win that game and we watched a little bit of belmont temple but here we are now and the funny thing is i run a bracket pool every year for march madness i have not won this pool will is in this every year he has not won this pool nick has won this pool <laughs> It's yeah. just, it's like it's kind of like a it's kind of like a scratch off ticket, you know. It's just it's a luck of the draw. Yeah, I feel like honestly, people like Nick have an advantage in this situation because like they don't overthink it like you and I do. Will right? where we'll sit there like, oh, you know, like how does this team match up? How do they match up? Nick will go, oh, I like this team. Yeah, I'm like, oh, this team has cool colors. <laughs> this yeah, team right, has a nice this, mascot. I'm yeah, gonna this, pick them. Oh, yeah. this team has has also a guy that plays basketball. Cool. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah. Yeah, and he has made money off of this, and we have not. Very true. But let's get into this. I want to talk to you guys about some ideas, some strategies, and how to fill out your brackets. Nick, you're in here because obviously you have better at this than we are because you have won this. But let's get started here. Let's look at some of the points that I like to consider with bracket strategy. From one thing I think people don't realize is where these games are played is very important because, I mean, like, obviously you have the top lines get their geographic preferences or where they go. Like, Duke is playing in South Carolina. But, like... There are matchups in here where I think that the location of the game matters a ton. Like, I'll give you an example. In the first round, in the, I believe it's the, what race? Tennessee is in the um, South region, correct? Tennessee, a two seed? Yeah, yep. they're in the South region in they, Louisville. Yeah, they, but their first round games are in Columbus. And if they advance, they could take on Cincinnati, the seven seed, in Columbus, making it a true road game for a two seed, which means they could be vulnerable for an upset there. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, that's the one thing that I don't like about the tournament, that the, the one seed, yeah, you deserve the one seed, but it's literally a home game for these one seeds. Yeah, Nick, would that bother you if you, if you were a fan of like the Tennessee team and say, you know what, we're gonna, we did well, we were a top two seed in the tournament, and now we have to play basically a true road game in the second round. Would that bother you? So you're saying a team that has a lower seed has the home court advantage, essentially? Essentially, because we had a ton of Cincinnati fans there in Columbus, Ohio on, uh, yeah, on, I mean, on, on Saturday. That, I... I feel like a home court advantage is especially prevalent in college sports because like yeah. the one thing from the limited college that I do watch is like you see those fans go crazy and they tra- they travel in numbers. Yeah, and, and and there's something about like what you see in like the NBA in the playoff times yeah. is like what you see in college just like all of the time. It yeah. seems like with like towels waving and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so if my team had a better year and it worked out somehow that we were on the road you know like yeah that would i would not enjoy that that would not be nice yeah that happened to michigan state a couple of years back when they were i think in the they were a four seed in the regional imagine square garden they end up basically playing a road game against uconn in the regional final and they lost that game uconn wanted to win the national championship and that annoyed me no end another team that could benefit from this is the kansas jayhawks because they got placed in the midwest regional that is going to be held in kansas state missouri and if they get there the Sprint Center is basically Allen Fieldhouse West, so there's gonna be a lot of Jayhawk fans there. Rock chalk Jayhawk. <laughs> Who like do they not factor this in when they're picking this alignment? Like how how do they just determine like this team's in this region, this team's in that region? Is it arbitrary or is there actually There's uh, some there's they try and put teams geographically where they feel it makes sense. So like they'll say, like, okay, we want you to be as close to your home base as possible. Which is the right re- the reason I that Michigan State ended up in the East region with Duke, even though they should not have been in terms of just pure C wise, because the other option would basically have been to be out west in Anaheim, California, which is where Michigan ended up. 
And that's a big factor to consider. Another thing to consider, which Will and I can speak more of this, is a difference in tempos between the two teams, which I think is very important here because you often see games where you have a team that likes to play fast, his team likes to play slow. More often than not, I feel like it's much easier to slow a team down than it is to speed up. Will you agree with that? I totally agree with that. And um, another hard thing is, as you just said, a team that likes to play a slow tempo game, slow tempo game when they have to speed up, they're not comfortable. When they're playing a fast team and they're behind, you know, yeah. you can't hold the ball for 26 seconds and then get a good shot. Yeah. You know, you got to put up points and you got to run a fast break. And some teams in this tournament don't play like that. Yeah, I mean, teams that play these bog it down defensive styles like Kansas State, like Virginia, like Cincinnati, like they play one speed. And like if you see that they're going to play a team that can make them speed up, that could be a big problem. Let's go, let's go on to our next point here. I, I think this is a very obvious one. Which teams are hot? Which teams are not? I mean, let's take, for example, Oregon, the 12th seed in the West. They and the, I think it's at the West. They're South Region, but they won the Pac-12. They were dead and buried. They won eight straight games to get in. They're hot. St. John's, on the other hand, not, not so hot. Not so much. Lose five of seven down the stretch. Barely make the tournament. Nick, how important do you think it is for team to just consider how hot a team is coming in the tournament? I mean, I think that's important regardless of what sport you're playing. I mean... Look at like any major sport. The team that gets hot towards the end is the team that wins it. I mean, you know, we're we're in New York. You know, how many times were the Giants? You know, the last team to just make it in. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, they 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 got hot at the right time and they won the whole thing. I mean, you look at other sports. Teams get hot at the right time and they win the whole thing. I mean, sometimes that's more important than literally anything else. You know? now, the only uh, exception to probably that hot start, hot finish kind of thing is. Is probably your Iona Gales. They're running into a juggernaut in North Carolina. What, Iona won their last nine games in the conference tournament? Yeah, last ten. Last ten games, and now they have to play North Carolina, who is one of the best teams in the country? Yeah. That, Do you really think that continues? No, because that's also a situation where it's like it's tough for Iona because like they like to run and shoot. North Carolina likes to run and shoot, too, and they are deeper, taller, and more athletic at it. So it's like I only play a perfect game to win that game. But yeah, that, that disparity seems much more with college sports, whereas, like, professional sports, you know, the best team and the worst team aren't, like, that far apart, I feel yeah. like. Whereas, like, in college, you have how many how many games in this first round are people, like, there is a 0% chance this team will win, you know? Yeah, but then again, you never know. Look what happened with UMBC last year. I mean, they were a team no one thought would win, and they went in and shocked Virginia and played a perfect game to win. They weren't even supposed to win their conference tournament. Vermont was the better team in that uh, American East Conference, and they shocked them. And then, you know, they went on and played the overall number one seed in Virginia and blew them out of the water. Yeah, and people, people forget, before that, a couple weeks before they won that conference tournament, they lost by 39 points at Albany. They lost by 39 points, and then three weeks later, they're knocking off the number one team in the land. Even Nick knows that's bad. <laughs> that's true. I do know that's bad. Yeah. yeah. That's the magic of March. And again, another thing, another factor to consider when you're picking some of these games, experience for these teams. Because like everybody loves Duke. Everybody loves how Duke is playing with all of their fabulous freshmen and Zion Williamson this and RJ Barrett that and Cam Reddish, whatever. But And a brand new shoe director. Yes. And a brand new shoe director. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> but, like, one thing to think about is that, like, these guys, all the freshman-based teams, have not been through the wars of a single elimination winner-go-home March Madness tournament, whereas a team that's been through it a little bit, like a Tennessee, like a Michigan, that could be an advantage. Yeah, you look at teams that when you're, you're, you know, you're making your picks and stuff like that, you look at teams that have three seniors that are 
very good players against three freshmen that are, you know, maybe better athletically. But when it comes down to that crunch time and they're down two, are they going to turn the ball over? When those seniors are like, oh, we've been in this position numerous times. We know what to do. Yeah, I was checking out the CBS Sports Bracket Breakdown today. I had a TiVo, so I watched that. One thing that Mike Krzyzewski talked about with Duke in the past is that, like, a lot of the freshmen don't know how to defend because they're used to relying on their athleticism to just get by teens at high school. And now playing against college athletes who are the best in their high schools, now they actually have to learn to defend. How important do you think it is that this defense angle be something that these younger players don't know? Well, you know, I guess I didn't even, honestly didn't even think about that until just now, whereas, like, in, in high school, you have these players that are, like you just said, like they're dominating everybody, don't really need to necessarily try as hard. And now, once you hit that next level, like everybody at this level is what you were at the previous level. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's super important to have that ability to know how to do it, like where how like a senior would have the advantage who's not necessarily as good because yep. they've seen it before, they played with it before. You know, it's anytime you see like stories of a young team, there's always that one veteran presence that kind of ties it all together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's a big part of it. Yeah, the last Duke team, the last time they won the national championship with, with uh, Julio Okafer, Tyus Jones, that group, Matt Jones is a sophomore, is a key play- presence in that team. And Quinn Cook was a very experienced senior leader, which I think they needed at that team. And look at the last three years, the teams that won the championship, Villanova, North Carolina, Villanova again, three teams filled with upperclassmen. Something to consider when you're picking the brackets. And one other factor that Will actually taught me about last year that I did not think about before, when you're looking for those first-round upsets, look at the point spread of the games. Vegas knows what they're doing here when they get, when they set the lines of these games. And they will give you hints to what games will be close based on the point spreads. Like, Last year, Loyola Chicago's game was Miami. I think it was like a three-point spread in favor of Miami, and Loyola went on to win that game. There's some ones that jumped out at me this year. I'll throw them out to you guys. If you're looking for a 5-12 game, Wisconsin-Oregon, it's a one-point line in favor of Wisconsin. So that tells you they think Oregon's very capable of winning that game. Jump on Oregon all day. I'm a degenerate, I know. But um, all those games that you, you look at all these spreads, and I even saw, like as a Kansas fan, I even saw them playing Northeastern, and the spread's six and a half. That's... It, it started at eight and has dropped down to six and a half. Not saying Kansas is going to win that game, but my from my vantage point, it sounds like Kansas might win by five or four. You know, they're you know up two with thirty seconds left, and the whole fouling game begins. Yeah, the other one that jumped out at me was the three fourteen game between LSU and Yale. That game was only a seven and a half point spread. The other three fourteen lines were at least ten points, which means they know something. I think that Yale team starts four seniors. That's yeah. probably why, what you attributed to your point before about senior leadership, that Yale team is basically all seniors. Yeah, and LSU, again, without head coach Will Wade also being suspended, they look very shaky without him down the stretch. You know, I never thought about that either because it's not like the people that make these spreads. It's not like some guy's just like, ah, I'm going to put four on this one and call it. Like, there's, yeah. there's obviously got to be some research into there. There's got to be some method to that madness that – you know, I actually didn't even think about until just now. Yeah. Vegas yeah. always wins. The house always wins. <laughs> yep. All right, let's continue here. I got some fun facts now to throw at you guys. I'm going to throw them out there. These are things to consider when we're making our picks. Obviously, we're going to go through these facts, and we're going to take a break. We're going to make our picks for the first two rounds, and we'll pick up the rest live. But let's start out here with the first four. Like, we were watching the first four games down there with – Temple and Belmont. Obviously, tomorrow, obviously on Wednesday, you have St. John's and Arizona. One thing to consider here, every year since the first four is instituted in 2011, 
at least one of those teams has won more than one game in the tournament, meaning that they won their first four game, and then they won a game in the round of 64. Four of those teams went on to the Sweet 16. Most famously, VCU went from the first four to the final four in 2011 at the expense of Will's Kansas Jayhawks. But that's something to consider. So, I mean, of these four teams, Will, who do you think would be the most likely to get the extra win? See, a lot of people talk a lot of uh, trash about the Pac-12 and how they're not a dominant conference this year. And um, Chris Mullins might be the best head coach that's a basketball player in the tournament. Yeah. But uh, he's not the best coach, per se, of college players. And that uh, Arizona State has that Hurley guy. And who do they play if they win? Oh, they play Buffalo, where he used to coach. So um, interesting storyline. It definitely an interesting storyline. And in my, you know, my bracket that I filled out, I have Arizona State beating St. John's, and then Arizona State beating Buffalo to go to the uh, the second round of the tournament. So an 11 seed, like you said, you know, another win. Also, that Belmont team is they pretty looked, good. They look pretty good. Absolutely right. But what color are their jerseys? <laughs> So blue and that. white. Blue and white. Right. They're the Bruins. Okay. Pick up point number two, the most popular one. It's even I'm sure Nick has even heard of. The color of their jerseys. No. Okay. Pick a twelve five upset. Oh, I have heard that one before, yeah. Yeah. You should pick at least one in your brackets. There were none last year, believe it or not, which is the first time in a while, but there was one in seventeen, two in twenty sixteen. 15, there were none, and there were at least two every year from 2012, 2014. So, in my opinion, I see two this year, and I I guess we'll talk about that when we fill out the brackets. But I have, I have, in my opinion, I have two 12 5 upsets here. So, uh, we'll see if that uh, continues that uh, trend in this year. Will you be picking a 12 5 upset, Nick? Would I pick one, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, that seems to be a thing. Yeah. Like, even the the year that I won, I was told, like, you got to pick at least one 12 and 5. Yeah, so in my mad scramble to pick teams before the time ran out, I was like, I gotta pick one of these twelve teams. I think you got it correct. I remember. I, I think I did. Yeah, and I just kind of. I mean, I just kind of closed my eyes and picked yep. it. But okay, let's go to another popular upset line: the thirteen over the four. For the last seven tournaments, a thirteen has beaten a four. Last year, we had two of them do it. Buffalo, that Buffalo team beat Arizona, blew up a lot of brackets, including mine. And Marshall beat Wichita State last year as a thirteen four. So that's that's another one to think about is. Will you have a 13-4 upset this year? There's a couple options on the board, in my opinion. I do. Yeah. I have one. Uh, just one, though. But I do have a, a 13 beating a 4. And, uh, yeah. So I have a lot of upsets this year. I think this is going to be a big upset tournament. I really do. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Another interesting one. We'll go to another line down. 14-3. A 14 beat a 3 every year from 2013 to 2016. Which is pretty impressive, considering this is those are teams that are borderline top ten teams in the country, and we're on a two-year drought. Are we due for one? <coughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nick, will you be bold enough to take a fourteen over a three? Um, if the colors match up, then yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like at that point, it's like what you're saying to me is equivalent to being like, well, yeah, but this team has yellow jerseys, so they're not going to win anything. Yep. You know, at that point, I. I think at a certain point, it almost seems like delving into these statistics is like, does it matter? I don't know. I guess, yeah. It's, it's all interesting. It's interesting stuff. It's all yeah. interesting factors oh, yeah. to consider. No, I love yeah. stats like that, but yeah. Okay, so here's another one. The 116 last year, we finally got one with UMBC. I would not bet on it happening again because the 16s in this year's field, you have Iona against North Carolina, which is not going to be fun for an Iona with their six-man rotation. 
And I hope I'm wrong on this because I'm a proud gay alum, but I don't expect much there. I think they cover the spread, though. 24 yeah. and a half points. I think they lose yep. by 20. Uh, that's, that would be a victory. Anybody else? Yeah. And Duke looks very strong. Gonzaga's going to play in winner. And Virginia is not going to lose one again, to a 16 again. Yeah, especially mm-hmm. a team that was shocked to win their conference tournament, which UMBC was as well. But uh, I don't think Gardner-Webb has the uh, ability to yeah. keep up with them. Yeah. This is also an interesting one. I think Nick should pay attention to this one. This stat I found fascinating. Let's hear it. Only one time in the last 22 years have all four number two seeds made it to the Sweet 16. That was in the year. That was in 2009. <laughs> As a matter of fact, since the tournament first expanded to 64 teams in 1985, it's happened only four times. I would not put all four number two seeds into that sweet 16. You should knock one of them off, according to statistically. You say that, and then the first thing that pops into my mind is like, guess all four uh, number two seeds are getting in it. I mean, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's one of <laughs> four, so he knows what he's talking about. So you're saying there's a chance. There is a chance. <laughs> Definitely a chance. Another interesting nugget to consider here, when you talk about our one seeds this year, we have the three teams in the ACC, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina and Gonzaga out west from the West Coast Conference. All four teams have made the Final Four only once back in 2008. And as another thing interesting, they've only all made the Elite Eight twice in the last decade, 2009 and 2016. So don't plan on putting all four of your one seeds through to the Elite Eight. At least one of them will probably get knocked off before they get there. Couldn't agree more. I don't have all my one seeds going to the Elite Eight, so... So guess who does? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, Nick is Nick is not filled it out yet. We're gonna do that in about two minutes. So we got two more things, inter- interesting notes here. I want to point out number one: in eight years running, a seven seed or lower has gotten to the Elite Eight, which I think is very interesting. You're talking about like Loyola Chicago last year. Kentucky's made it as an eight seed. Eight years or lower, somebody below the top four line, below the top six lines, is made it to the final four. Made it to the lead eight with several of them getting the final four, like VCU, like Loyola Chicago, like Kentucky. Would that make you consider taking a low, taking a risk of the lower seed team, Nick? Yeah, I mean, like I said, for me personally, like all of these statistics, like I'll keep it in the back of my mind. But for the most part, I'm gonna kind of just. I feel like the nature of sports is anything can happen. So these these stats, I will use these statistics as a back of my mind like toss-up kind of thing but anything can happen right isn't that isn't that the best part about march madness is that all the possibilities yeah i mean that's why i don't watch college sports college basketball until march madness because of that just every game feels important like anything can happen at any moment all right last one before we before we before we break interesting note here will i think you'll be interested about this in terms of the six seeds we've got at the, on the six lines here, we have Maryland, we got Buffalo, we have our defending national champions, Villanova, and I believe the last one is, I'm trying to remember offhand who the last six seed is, but... Iowa State. Iowa State. Thank you, sir. They the six A six seed has not reached the Final Four since the Fab Five with Michigan 27 years ago. So if you're a fan of one of those four schools, not looking good for you. And it's not going to continue this year either. <laughs> Until this year when it happens. All right, with that, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will update, we will pick, we'll do our picks for the bracket. We will go from the Sweet 16 all the way to the championship game. That's coming up right after this. Here they come. One timeout, they don't take it.
Either way, time left or not. Give Ingram a lot of credit. That is splash. Four tenths of a second. seconds left. That's still a huge shot. Oh, my goodness. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard, Mark, uh, Dante Ingram hit the game-winning three last year to beat Miami for Loyola Chicago, courtesy of CBS Sports March Madness. We have taken some time. We watched a little bit of the uh, Belmont uh, Temple game there, Belmont pulling away as we speak, but we also took time to fill out our brackets. We're going to go region by region and finish filling them out for you guys on the air. A couple of Final Four picks as well. Before we dive into that, Nick, you want you mentioned off the air. You want to talk about how you won the pool the first time around, right? Yeah. So I think it had to have been at least like I don't know eleven thirty p.m. And I think you called me and you were like, "Hey, man, your bracket needs to be in in like the next half hour, otherwise you you just lost money." And I was like, "Ah, oh, crap!" So I like pulled out my laptop and I was just like, "Uh, uh, this team, this team, this team, this team," because as we had learned in the previous segment that I don't know anything about college basketball, and then like. That was it. Next thing you know, apparently I picked all of the right upsets and all the right everything because I ended up winning. That's how champions are made. Just randomly picking it. As they learned over the years, paralysis by analysis for people like me and Will who watch like, all the games. And, you know, now, like, people like Nick who just do it in five minutes could win the entire thing. I just did this in five minutes, so we'll see what happens. It's there. probably going to win the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, our track record, I mean, Nick's done it. Our buddy Kevin Lillis, who was on the on here for the picks a couple of times during the year, like he won the pool last year. So the track record shows that people like Nick are more likely to win than people like me and Will who obsess over this sport. Yeah, I kind of did the Nick theory and just went bing, 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 and just picked random teams. All right, so let's get into this then. Let's start with the East region. Before we dive into how we got this week 16, Will, what was your most interesting pick you made in the East region? Uh, my most interesting pick is, uh, as we talked about earlier, was a 12-5 upset. I took Liberty beating Mississippi State. Interesting. Why is that? Um, I just went on your advice about the 12-5 seeds, and you know I got to pick two of them, so that's one of them. You know, it's funny. I did the same thing. <laughs> hey, Liberty see? we're on the over same page. Mississippi State, and my reasoning was not at all with that. I just thought like Liberty, like America, and like Mississippi. Like, Liberty beating Mississippi, it makes no sense, but in my head, it, that's how I came to that. Liberty's so, going to win. Yeah. yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I watched that one as well. I thought about it. I did not take it. My big move in that region was I took our friends from Belmont, the Bruins, to get to the Sweet 16 because I have them beating Maryland in the next round, and I have them beating Yale because I took Yale to beat LSU as a 14 over a three. I think the loss of Will Wade is a big deal for that program. And I think LSU is going down in flames. Um, uh, did you copy me when I did my bracket? Because I have Belmont as well beating Yale to play Michigan State in the Sweet 16. Yeah, we did not go that far. So, I mean, like, I think it's pretty interesting. But we'll, let's get to our story here. So, Will, what are your Sweet 16 pairings in the East region? My Sweet 16 is uh, Duke's playing Virginia Tech, and uh, Belmont is playing Michigan State. Okay, so who are you going to take in that first one, Duke-Virginia Tech? I'm going to take the upset there, and I'm going to take Virginia Tech. Wow. That's a big one, knocking Duke out that early. Yep. That's uh, Duke's going down early. Well, for, I know this is audio, but I just audibly threw up my hands. <laughs> I'm going to do the exact same thing. Really? Yeah, because I want to go against the grain here, and I figure we talked about this before. Everybody is taking Duke, 
So I want to not take Duke. So when they knock out, I get the advantage in that. Yeah, that's an interesting strategy that we did not really bring up before is that this whole idea of, you know, like if you have a clear favorite this year and Duke is the clear favorite because Duke is, I believe, a nine to four favorite to win the national championship. And we're in a, and we're in, you guys are both in the Just and the Suffering Bracket Challenge. And there are about 35 people committed to do this so far. If 25 of them pick Duke and you were one of those 25, you guys have to get everything right to try and win the pool. If you don't pick Duke and you pick somebody else, like say Virginia or North Carolina or Gonzaga, wherever you want it to be, your odds of winning go up significantly if you happen to get that champ right. I think it's an interesting strategy there, but. Okay, so let's go on to also who you guys who you have in the other match out there, Michigan State or uh, who you have in that one, Belmont. Before, before before you go on to that one, we're assuming that you took Duke in your bracket. My four teams in that region: I have Duke, Virginia Tech, Belmont, and Michigan State. I'm going to take Duke in that matchup, going to the Elite Eight. Let's go on to the second game in that region. For us, it's Michigan State, Belmont. Will who are you taking there? I want to take Belmont just because I know how big you are, Sparty fan, but. I don't know. Michigan State, I think that's too much for Belmont. And I think uh, Michigan State, in my bracket, is going to play Virginia Tech in the Elite Eight. Nick, how about you? You, What's your matchup there on the other side? I had LSU-Michigan State. Okay. And I'm also taking Michigan State because you had said something that there have never been four twos in, I forget which round it was, but I'm going to make sure there's four twos in that round. Yeah. That was the Sweet 16 round. So. Oh, okay, so we already did that. Yes. Right, well, well, there's going to be more twos coming up. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to take Michigan State as well in this round. I am a big believer in Coach Izzo. They are due for a deep March run. I think that's going to happen here. So we have regional finals set up here. You two both have Virginia Tech and Michigan State. Where are you guys going with your picks? Nick? Um, I'm going to go with Virginia. Tech. Yes, sure. Is that the one? Yes. Yes, Virginia Tech because uh, I had them beating Duke. So if they do actually beat Duke and they continue, that's more points for me. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to do. It's not a bad theory in that part because, I mean, they are getting back injured point guard Justin Robinson. He could be a big factor in that game. Right. That's what I was thinking also. Absolutely. Yeah. It was right at the top of your list there. Will, how about you? God, it, it's like me and Nick are on the same wavelength today because I am also taking Virginia Tech to beat Michigan State. And the reason I'm taking Virginia Tech is – they play in that tough ACC, and they, they play Duke twice a year, or maybe once a year this year, but they usually play Duke twice a year, and um, Michigan State's a good team, but they don't play ACC caliber opponents like this year. The ACC has been very good, top to bottom for the most part, so I think Virginia Tech takes them down. They match up well with Michigan State, so I think Virginia Tech will be going to the Final Four. Yes, Final Four. That's it. Yeah, I would disagree with that argument because Michigan State this year has beaten 14 ranked teams, which I think is more than any team in the country. So I think if they are not having to deal with Duke, they will get there. But in my scenario, they're playing Duke, and they will lose because Zion Williamson is simply a man-child who cannot be stopped. And literally, we saw last week in the ACC tournament what a difference he makes for that basketball team because he can impact both ends of the floor, and it does not mean to think that they cannot shoot from three. So I'm putting Duke through to the Final Four in the East region. Let's head over to the South Regional. Will, why don't we start with you this time? Tell me, who are your four teams in the South Regional and what interesting stuff did you have picking going on in there? Um, well, I have a couple upsets over here. Um, I took uh, Oregon, another 12-5 matchup to beat Wisconsin. Oregon's rolling. 
Um, they're fast. Wisconsin's not fast. So I feel like if Oregon gets up and up on uh, Wisconsin by 10 points in the second half, then Wisconsin's got to play a game that they don't usually play and speed up the pace. Another upset I also have, which I don't think Nick does, but uh, I took UC Irvine to beat Kansas State. I like the Anteaters a lot. Did you so. copy my bracket? I have both of those as well. Yeah, I did not. Any other upsets on your on your arm, war on your bracket, Will, before you tell us your four teams? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's about it. Um, yeah, I have uh, just Oregon and UC Irvine to beat uh, Wisconsin, the five seed, and UC Irvine to beat Kansas State, the four seed. Okay, so who are your four teams in the Sweet 16 in that region? My four teams are Virginia, who beats Ole Miss, Oregon, who beats UC Irvine, Villanova, who beats Purdue, and Tennessee, who beats Cincinnati. Okay. Nick, how about you? What did you, what did you have going on in that region? Any notable upsets? The South? Yes. Um, is this considered part of the South, this thing right here? Um, I picked St. Mary. Over Villanova. Over Villanova. Um, there's a joking nickname that we have in this house called St. Mary's. Yeah. And that is why I picked that. That's, that's, that's the only reason. <laughs> well, there goes my bracket. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lose now. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, yeah, so my. You're, you're four, who are your four Sweet 16 teams in that region? It's uh, Virginia, Wisconsin, and St. Mary, Tennessee. Okay, I am gone. I got a little bit different there. I also I had the same two upsets Will mentioned before. I took uh, what do you call? It? I took UC Oregon and UC Irvine. I have Virginia playing Oregon in the Sweet 16 because I am a big Ducks guy right now. They they are red hot. They won eight in a row, and that path is not going to be hard for them to get there. And on the other half, I have uh, who is the three seed in that region? I have to see my sheet real quick. The three seed is Purdue. I have Purdue advancing against Cincinnati in the Sweet 16. I think that home court advantage they're going to have playing in Columbus is going to be too big for the Volunteers to overcome. So as of right now, I have Virginia, Oregon, and then Cincinnati-Purdue in the Sweet 16. So, Nick, we'll start with you this time. Who are you picking in your Sweet 16 matchups there? Between right, which one? The South region. We're going to get to the Final Four. Oh, okay. This is the 16. Yes, yeah, so you have Virginia, Wisconsin. Who are you taking there? Oh, I took Virginia. Okay. Um, also, the fact that I had to ask Will which region <laughs> the bracket should show should say a lot. So I have Virginia beating Wisconsin, and I put Tennessee beating St. Mary because I don't think St. Mary has any chance to do anything simply because I don't know anything about St. Mary. Okay. And which which team do you have getting to the final four there, Virginia or Tennessee? Uh, Virginia. Okay, we'll have, have a number yeah. one, at least one number one yeah. somewhere in this. I have the uh, same elite eight as Nick. I have Virginia beating Oregon, um, and then I have Tennessee beating Villanova uh, to go to the elite eight. But unlike Nick, I have Tennessee beating Virginia to go to the final four. Okay, I will make up my picks here. I'm going to take Virginia here to beat Oregon, get to the elite eight. I am also going to take Purdue to ups to beat Cincinnati, get to the final, get to the elite eight. But Tony Bay finally gets the final four. I'm going to take Virginia here. Give me the Cavaliers to go to the final four out of the South Regional. Let's go to the Midwest next, which is for Nick. That's the one right below the South. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to start here in this region. I did not take Iona to advance. I took North Carolina. So I want to throw that out there. Are you? Did you even go to Iona? I'm still going to Iona. <laughs> I, I took basically... I went pretty much chalk there. The one upset there I took was actually no. I went I went straight chalk here. 
I literally went straight chalk in this region. My final, my four Sweet 16 teams are Kentucky, are, uh, Kentucky uh, Houston, Kansas, and North Carolina. Will? Um, I have one upset, and uh, I'll tell you that at the end here. Uh, in my Sweet 16, I have North Carolina. I have Auburn beating Kansas. I have Iowa State beating Houston. And the upset of the tournament, I have Wofford beating Kentucky. I thought long and hard about that one. And I, you know I'm the Wofford guy on this podcast. I've been singing Wofford's praises for weeks and weeks and weeks, but I just get the feeling that Kentucky was not the right matchup for them. Correct. Yeah. So that's the reason I did not pick them there. Nick, who do you have in that region? Like Any, any notable upsets? Uh, no. I think my only kind of upset, I guess, is um, I had North Carolina, Kansas, and then I had Iowa and Kentucky. Iowa State, Kentucky. Okay. Yes. Let's get to the final four out of this region here. So I'm going to start here. I'm going to take North Carolina over Kansas. They will overcome the Kansas home court advantage at Sprint Center because Kansas is not deep enough to stay with Carolina. I'm going to take Kentucky over I over Houston because Houston, nice team, 131 games, but it's a big step up in weight class. So we get an epic North Carolina-Kentucky showdown in the Elite Eight, and I will take the North Carolina Tar Heels and their experience to go to the Final Four. I mean, that's pretty uh, pretty almost close, except for me taking Wofford. I took uh, UNC to beat Auburn, and then I took Iowa State to beat Wofford, and then I have UNC going to the Final Four, beating Iowa State in a close one. All right, so I, for my Final Four, I took Virginia Tech beating Michigan uh, State. Uh, we're not, we're, we're not, we're, you're in the wrong region again. I'm in the wrong region? Yeah, you're, we're still doing the Midwest. I thought Midwest. we were doing everything. No, okay. so, so we, have one, we have one more reason to go after that. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to get to the final four, then I guess I had North. You had North Carolina and Kansas. I yeah. took Kansas on that. Wow. <laughs> and then um, I took. Yeah, has there ever been a time where there was no number ones ever? Yes. The There's no. There, there have been cases where there were no number ones in the final cool. four. Guess what my thought process going into this was. And then um, I took. But I took Kansas over North Carolina, and I took Kentucky over Iowa. And then who'd you have winning between Kansas and Kentucky? Uh, Kentucky. Okay, so you have Kentucky in the final four. Yes. And last but not least, we're going to the West Regional. That one, I I actually stayed shock here as well. I took all eight top seeds. I have the top four of Gonzaga, Florida State, Tennessee, and I mean uh, Texas Tech and Michigan in in there. Will any notable upsets in that West Region for you? Um, not really. I have. Uh, it, it depends on who wins that game between Arizona State and St. John's. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow night, but. Um, I have if Arizona State wins, I I like them to beat Buffalo, but then to lose to Texas Tech. Yeah. Um, but in my uh, Sweet 16, I have Gonzaga, Marquette, Texas Tech, and Michigan. Mine is identical. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's go to the picks. Nick, we'll start with you for this West Region. Who did you take in that first game between between uh, Gonzaga and Marquette? Uh, I took Marquette because I'm going with this formula that there are going to be no number one teams anywhere near this. So. <laughs> Yeah, riding Marcus Howard, the one of the leading scorers in the country. There are 25 points a game. That's a nice, nice pick there. Will, did you do the same? No, I did not do the same. I went with Gonzaga yeah. over uh, Marquette. I just think Gonzaga is too big for Marquette, and they're just going to get up big and then keep that lead. I don't like their name. Yeah, Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have Gonzaga playing Florida State in that region. I am taking Florida State in that game. I think the Seminoles are a sleeper team in this field. 
I feel like they have a ton of experience. They went to the Elite Eight a year ago, and I think they will get back to the Elite Eight again by topping Gonzaga and sending Mark Few's guys home early. So you guys have the Texas Tech-Michigan scenario, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay, so who do you have winning in that game? Uh, I have Michigan. I have Texas Tech. Oh, oh here we go. Uh, Red Raiders. I am going with the Wolverines back to the Final Four. John Beeline getting back again. So basically, I have three ones and a two in my Final Four. The three ACC schools, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, and Michigan as a two seed. Will, who is your Final Four? I have uh, UNC and Tennessee is the one and two, and then Virginia Tech against Texas Tech. Interesting. Nick, what did you end up with? Um, I lied about not having a number one get far because I have... Um, Virginia, I believe. Virginia. I have. If we're, we're doing Final Four, right? Yeah. So I got Virginia versus Kentucky. And then I got Virginia Tech riding high off of beating Duke going against Marquette in a 4-5 Final Four. Interesting. So let's go your picks here. So who's going to be in the National Championship, Nick, and who will win? Uh, it's going to be Virginia Tech... Riding high off of that Duke victory and Kentucky, and I got Kentucky beating them, ending their what seemed like a Cinderella run, but it was just too much. Okay, Will, your final four, who gets to the championship game, who wins? I have Texas Tech beating Virginia Tech to go to the national championship to play the Tennessee Volunteers beating UNC, and I have Tennessee winning it all with Admiral Admiral, Admiral, Admiral Schofield. Yeah, and Grant Williams. Grant Williams, senior base team. Boy, you better hope that I'm wrong about that Cincinnati pick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. I, my final four, I have Duke against Michigan. I'm going to have Duke get to the championship game. And North Carolina will beat Virginia on the other side, giving us the first ever meeting in the national ter- championship between Duke and North Carolina. Actually, the first time they've ever met in the NCAA tournament. Well, do you know they've never met in a March Madness before? Who never met? Say that again. Duke and Carolina. They've never met in a March Madness tournament before. No, the only time they met in a tournament was back in 1971 in the NIT. NIT. Back when the NIT was actually the important the tournament. Tournament, tournament. Oh. Back when it was actually the important tournament, the NIT. Sounds like the hipster tournament. So yeah. I have them win- playing each other in the championship. I have North Carolina winning that game, winning a national championship. They are the only team that has given Duke the most problems all year long. Even with Zion Williamson back, Duke only beat them by one. I think in the national championship game, North Carolina experience will prevail. They win the national championship. Those are our picks for the brackets in Just End the Sufferings Bracket Challenge. I'll keep everybody updated on that throughout the tournament. Before we let everybody go, Will, you want to let everybody know how to follow on social media? I understand you now have Twitter. I do have Twitter. I don't tweet a lot. That's just how I get my news. Um, on Twitter, I am. I actually have to look it up right now because I don't even know what my thing is. Nick, you want to get your social media out while he, while he looks for his? Um, well, so I recently decided I don't want to be on social media anymore. So I deleted my Facebook. I deleted a lot of stuff. But um, I do have a Twitter. And I think I'm going to use this as my like... Coming out party. Coming out party, yeah. Where I'm going to be like, maybe I'll start using Twitter again. So it's the same Twitter I had for the past like 15 years that I haven't used in about 14 years. But it's at X number three miles down. It was my... AOL Instant Messenger screen name in seventh grade, and it's been my username for everything since. So any social media, X3 miles down, that's probably where you'll find me. Will, you found you found that Twitter account yet? I found it. Mine's a little bit more simple. Mine's at W underscore Smith 1124, and that is my Twitter handle. All right, cool. Guys, thank you for all the time. 
Thank you, Mike. Fun, always fun. Thank Nick. you for coming to my attic and not making it weird at all in that first part. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, thank you again for letting us for letting me take this show on the road for a little bit after our fantasy baseball draft where we all came out pretty good. We all did good. I think I think we all did good and the people that didn't do good, we're not gonna say any names because they'll probably listen to this. So Yeah, we learned during the draft that some of the people actually are listening to this podcast, so Yeah, I mean, uh, we did good and other people didn't do good. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) All right. Up next, this week's two-minute drill. I'll talk about the Tyreek Hill situation with the Kansas City Chiefs, the whole investigation going around him and what should happen if he actually is involved in the incident that broke his child's arm. That's coming up right after this. Drew Kayser punting. The dangerous Tyreek Hill backpedaling. Handles the sun. Hill finds an opening. Tyreek Hill to the outside. Hill, blazing speed. Tyreek Hill electrifying. 91 yards for the touchdown. All right, we're back on this week's two-minute drill. That call you as her courtesy of Ian Eagle and CBS Sports. Tyreek Hill's punt return for a touchdown, 91 yards for the Kansas City Chiefs in week one of the 2018 season against the San Diego Chargers. Throughout the last two years, Tyreek Hill has become one of the most electrifying players in the National Football League. Last year, he had 87 catches, 1,479 yards, 12 touchdowns, and that's just proceeding. It doesn't factor in what he did with punt returns, with rushing, and he is probably the most dynamic weapon in the National Football League right now. And why are we talking about Tyreek Hill? We have off-the-field stuff with him now. Here, he has been... In, he, he is being investigated by police in Kansas City in an instance of... for domestic battery and assault. Now, I want to clarify one here. There, His name is not in a police report officially. He is not being listed as a person of interest. He has not been charged with anything. But as of right now, there are reports out that his three-year-old son has a broken arm. His fiance is listed on the police reports, among others involved, whatever that means. And right now, there are questions as to what Tyreek Hill's involvement was in the situation. And people, don't forget, Tyreek Hill has an incident in his past. In 2015... He has a guilt. He pled guilty while he was in college for domestic violence and assault. That obviously led to a three-year probation for him. That impacted him in the draft. He fell down the boards. The Chiefs took a chance on him. They've been rewarded so far. Up to this point, Tyreek Hill's been a good citizen on the field. Now, if this is true in any way, if Tyreek Hill is involved in that broke his son's arm, he should not play in this league ever again. Let's get, let's get one thing clear here. He's an electrifying football player. He's one of the most exciting players the National Football League has ever seen in terms of just pure athleticism, speed, the ability to break a game open. The Patriots in the AFC Championship game did everything they could to take Tyreek Hill out of the game. And that was a big reason why the Chiefs struggled in the first half because the, the Patriots decided we have to take Tyreek Hill out. He is that game-breaking. We cannot deal with Tyreek Hill ruining us. No matter how great he is on the field, if this is true, if it's found out that he is involved in breaking a three-year-old's arm, this man should never play professional football again. I'm sorry. There is no excuse ever for something like that. None. And the NFL has been way too light on the domestic violence front over the years. I mean, 
they gave Ray Rice two games initially when the before the video came out. Then they upped it to six. The Ravens caught him. We saw what happened from there. Ezekiel Elliott got six games for his domestic violence incident, and he fought that tooth and nail with the league. Kareem Hunt, another former Chief, just got cut, got an eight-game suspension. He is not appealing that, so this is a step in the right direction, but good press precedent here could be Adrian Peterson. Remember, he was back with the Vikings. He got basically suspended for one full year for using a switch to spank his child. That got a year. If Tyreek Hill broke a child's arm, I want to be very clear on this. Right now, there is no evidence that says Tyree Hill did that. There is no police report. There's no statement. There's no witnesses. I'm just saying, like, if something comes out, if we have a smoking gun here that says Tyree Hill did this, he should not play another down in this league again. And I am terrified that Kansas City will cut him because Kansas City showed with, Ty- with uh, Kareem Hunt that they will not tolerate this garbage. They cut him. Somebody will sign him just because he can run really fast and break defenses down. Because in the NFL, all they care about is winning. They want to sell winning teams. The Browns want to win. Other teams will say, you know what? We need Tyreek Hill to win football games. I'm sorry, but if you break a kid's arm, you should not play in the National Football League. I want to clarify one more time. We do not know for a fact that Tyreek Hill is involved in any of this. For all I know, he could be completely innocent. And as of this point, innocent until proven guilty. But if it's true, if he is involved in some way, the book should be thrown at him. And he should never play another down in this league again. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Brian Rao for coming by to break down the brackets for March Madness. Joe D'Alessio for breaking down the OBJ trade and what the Le'Veon Bell sign means for the Jets. And Nick D'Alessio and Will Smith both of whom helped me fill out our brackets and talk bracket strategy and show me the money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, include my instant reactions to the OBJ trade and the Le'Veon Bell signing from last week. Be sure to check out my blog over justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play. So by searching for Just and the Suffering in the iTunes Store and the Google Play Music section. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings or I'll make the show even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331, that's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331, and tweet me with hashtag CluelessGettleman, he made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, another big show coming up for you, March Madness is in full swing, we will break down the first round of action, look ahead to the Sweet 16, baseball beat guys, we'll sign our hand, Anthony Sarvalini will also be back, we will preview the beginning of the season talk about the mega extension Mike Trout just signed, and we will also give you our predictions what's going to happen this season. Having more baseball as well. Show me the money. I'll be back. I'll be talking with my friend Phil Frietta. We're doing over-unders for the baseball season. Give you some bets to consider the making before the year starts. And who knows? Maybe we got some more. Until then, I'll be a better week than UNC Greensboro fans. <laughs> <laughs>